Well, good evening again, and happy Easter again. We're uh, a little bit overwhelmed by this weekend, to be honest with you. It's pretty amazing what God has, uh, God has brought together. You know, um, Marsha and I, about four years ago, actually started praying about planting a new church, new campus in Barberton, and it's pretty overwhelming that um, today has happened. Today is happening. So we're really... Um, grateful to the Lord, and we're grateful to many of you. Like, it's, it's pretty incredible to do uh, church this way, the set up and tear down and everything, um, how many people it takes, and how, like, how many man hours it takes to do this. And so many of you are doing it every week, like giving, serving, it's amazing. And so um, well, I want to thank you in front of everybody. I want to thank you, and I want to thank the Lord for his faithfulness in bringing all this about. So, um, before we jump into things, I want to uh, just tell you about a couple things coming up. You may need to turn me down a little bit there. Uh, a couple things coming up. First of all, on April 25th, I would love for you to put this date in your calendar. April 25th, the city of Barberton is doing a cleanup day. So one of the things that we talk about around here is like we don't just do church for church people. We don't just do church for us. The church isn't for the church. We say the church is for the world. And so we want to make a difference in the world, and we want to make a difference in our community here. And so the city of Barberton is doing a cleanup day on April 25th, which is a Saturday, three weeks from now, and they were looking for volunteers. And so we called them up and we said, yeah, we would love to uh, be a part of this. We would love to help. And so can we bring, they're looking for 300 volunteers. We said, can we bring 100 of them before I had asked any of you? So I'm just going to assume that you're going to do this. But um, we're going to be spread out in various parks and shopping center areas around the city, and uh, we're just going to be cleaning for a couple hours, a few hours, picking things up, and then there's a luncheon afterwards at Tuscora Park right next to the hospital. And so I would love for you to put that on your calendars, and maybe if you um, would mark it on your connection card, I think we need to do a sign-up for it so that we uh, know, you know how many people that we have. So if you could mark it on your connection card, that would help us and uh, let us know that you're planning on coming. Make sense? Second thing I want to tell you about, um, and, it's, and the reason I'm telling you this is so that uh, you're not surprised by this, but this is not our building, right? Like, we don't own this place. We have to set up and we got to tear down every week. And so at 9.30, we got to be out of here. And so at 8.30, we're going to start like moving around like busy bees and try to pack up all this stuff and rearrange. And we got to leave it uh, as good or better as how we found it. And so I'm telling you this because um, we got the building till 9.30. You are in no rush after service, but we're going to be like moving around you, okay? And we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. We don't want you to feel like you rush to leave. Talk to people. That's really important, right? We got to get to know each other. Talk to people. Don't mind us. Don't feel like you even have to help if you don't want to. Like we got plenty of people that are on the teardown team that are a part of this. I just wanted to let you know so um, it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable if you see somebody like pulling the bench out behind you or something like that. They won't do it if you're trying to sit, but just so you know. Uh, so anyway, so part of me can't believe that today is, is here. Like, it's, it's amazing, and it's been this incredible journey for us, an incredible journey. Like I said, four years ago, Marcia and I, my wife is Marcia, Marcia and I started praying about this, and then especially in the last year, seeing how God has brought people to say, hey, we want to be a part. We don't know what it's going to be like, but we want to step outside of our comfort zone, and we want to be part of something new. And, you know, uh, uh, the launch team was, was being assembled, and we said, well, we need a staff, too. And so the staff was being assembled, and uh, we started buying stuff, all of the, the equipment and supplies and all that, and we started trying to find a location. And the location was like, whoo! 
Woo! That was tough to find the right location. It, it was a, like, probably a lot of you don't know this, but getting to this point where we do services here at the school was like an incredible journey. We looked at so many different areas. The schools have been very kind to us and allowing us to meet here, but it was not an easy path to find this location. In fact, we decided to actually document some of this and we made a short video, so check this out. Hey guys, here we are on launch day at Barberton Elementary East. It has been an incredible journey getting here. Probably a lot of you guys don't know like what a uh, complex route we've taken in landing here at the school. Um, we've turned over every nook and cranny and it's been quite an adventure. So we were working hard, you know, we went out, I got my, my trusty tape measure and my GPS and we just kind of scoured the city looking for places that were the right fit for us. And we looked at a lot of different places. Some places, you know, weren't quite the right size. Some places were a beautiful scenery but didn't have air conditioning. Some places didn't have the right parking for us. But we looked at a lot of different places and we were trying to find somewhere where people could just jump in, could dive right into what we're doing. Jeff, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Vec. Just uh, here for my appointment. And kids and students to us are really, really important. And so finding a location that's like the best environment for kids and students is huge for us. So my question to you is, is there any place maybe in the back where we can and so we went to some pretty out-of-the-box places too and we're thinking about ways that you know we could partner with other organizations to bring as many people in as possible Brian let me ask you this there's by every salvation we rent from you every salvation free bucket chicken what do you think so finding a location in Marberton hasn't been the easiest thing in the world for us. It's been quite an adventure, but we are really, really happy to call Barberton Elementary East our home, at least for right now. We know that we're not going to be here forever, but we're really grateful for how God has provided, and we're grateful that you're here today with us, too. I always got to get a little bit of potty humor in there because that's kind of how I roll. So. so anyway, it was a little bit of a journey trying to find the location. And, you know, we, we know this. Um, like, we're, so we're really excited about today. Obviously, we're excited about today. But um, let's be honest. Launching a new campus of Grace Church, it pales in significance to what we're actually celebrating here today at Easter time, right? The resurrection. It's the, it's the day that changed every other day in the course of history. It's the day that hope was revealed to us. It's the day that, that peace was unveiled in our hearts. It's the day that sin and death was crushed, right? Your sin and my sin. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and he began again. He defeated the grave, he defeated death, and he gave you and I the possibility in our own lives to begin again. And so, like, we're super pumped about this campus. We're super pumped about tonight. But what we do only has value because of who we celebrate here tonight. Like, all of this only has value 
because of Jesus. And so um, making a name for ourselves, some of you are newer to Grace Church, making a name for Grace Church is not that important to us. We don't really care about that. Who cares about that? What we care about is making the name of Jesus famous. Like the way we say it around here, we put some of these signs up here. The way we say it around here is that we live to make Jesus make sense. Like that's our goal. We want people to understand who Jesus is. And so tonight, like it's so cool. Like this is so encouraging. It's so exciting. I hope you come back next week. Well, I'll be really sad if next week we have like 100 people. Okay, so come back next week. We'd love to have you. But um, so we're super excited. But we're really, tonight is about Jesus and the resurrection and focusing on him. So um, I'd love for you to pull out your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 26. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have a table full of them in the back. Some people like to, uh, I think it helps to read it yourself, so to have your own Bible or to read it on your phone or your tablet or whatever. But if you don't have a Bible, we have a table full of them back there. And uh, if you don't have one at home, take it with you. That's our gift to you. Don't use it as a coaster, but like read it, you know, if you're going to take it. But we would love for you to have that. Um, Matthew 26 is where I love for you to go. The Bible is uh, broken down into two parts, right? So you have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The first probably three-fourths of the Bible is the Old Testament. And then the last quarter, the last fourth of the Bible is the New Testament. So Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament of your Bible. So like I said, Easter is all about Jesus, right? It's about his final days. It's about the, the, the end of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, his coming back to life, his beginning again. And this is one of maybe the most important parts of Christianity. The resurrection is the crux, no pun intended, but is the crux of Christianity. One of the guys that wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, said it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, all of this is futile. All of this means nothing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith is worthless in fact, he went so far as to say, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, we should all just party until we die, eat and drink and have fun until we die. The resurrection is the most important part of Christianity. And so this week, as I was reading about this and I was preparing for today, you know, I was, I was, I was kind of just reading through the Gospels and the history of Easter and all that went on. And it was fascinating to me because couched in, I, I, guess, I've, I guess maybe I never connected it this way, but couched in the history of what Jesus did, what we celebrate here at Easter, the end of his life, is also a history of two other people that had a lot of value to Jesus that I think tonight we can learn a lot from. As we look at Jesus and as we look at the resurrection and the history of what he went through, I also want us to focus on these two other people. These are, these are two people that knew Jesus really, really well. These are two people that spent a lot of time with him. They are two of his very best friends here on earth. They followed him everywhere. Jesus called these guys disciples. They were two of his disciples. And I think, at least at first, both of them really, really loved Jesus. And Jesus loved them for sure. But you know what happened? In Jesus' final days, in the last days of his life, both of these guys who knew Jesus really, really well, who spent tons of time with him, who saw him do miracles, who saw him uh, uh, heal people, who saw him uh, cast out demons from people. Both of these people who are two of his very best friends on earth. Both of them betrayed him. During Jesus' hardest time, they betrayed him. They acted selfish, both of these guys. They acted like cowards, and they were terrible to the one who would ultimately die for them. And one would, real, they would both realize it, but one would realize it, and he would feel like the remorse He would feel like such guilt, and he would not be able to let go of his mistake. 
and he would end up ending his life. The other also realized what he did. He realized his mistake, but instead of ending his life, he began again. And he ended up being probably the most important leader in the history of the church. And he would end up giving his life for Jesus, for the risen Jesus. So I want us to look at this. And uh, as we look at who Jesus is and what he did at Easter, I also want us to look at these two guys because I think that there's a lot that we can learn that we could take away from them. And then next week, actually, we're going to dig in deeper into one of these guys. So Matthew 26, hopefully you're there. Um, We're going to pick up in verse 17. I'm just going to kind of talk us through this. Verse 17 talks about the Last Supper. You probably heard about this. It's the very end of Jesus' life on earth. This is the last meal that he would eat before his death, and it's the Passover meal, which, by the way, the Passover was yesterday for Jews. Uh, current Jews. The Passover was the beginning of a very important Jewish feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so it's a Thursday, and Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and two of his disciples are Peter and Judas. And Jesus is kind of, he's sitting at the table, he's kind of relaxing, said earlier in the Bible, it says that he like greatly looked forward to this time. Like he knows what's coming. Jesus knows what's coming. And he looks forward to this last kind of quiet time with his disciples. And so he's kind of kicking back at the table. But then he kind of changes the direction of the evening. And he says this. He says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Truly I tell you. So they're having, it seems like they're having a good time. And he says, truly I tell you, one of you will will betray me. And one by one, they're like, not me, right? Not me, Jesus. I, I wouldn't betray. You're not talking about me, right? And then Judas, in verse 25, he says, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus says, You have said so, which means, yep, it's you. And in the Gospel of John, it tells us that just just a short time after that, Judas leaves and he goes out to betray Jesus. Then after the meal, they go out, and Jesus says to his disciples in verse uh, 31, he says, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. Remember, he just, he's celebrating with them. He loved them. They loved him. At least most of them did. And he tells Judah, Judas that he's going to betray him. And then he tells the rest of them, he says, you're all going to fall away this very night from me. And Peter says, I love Peter. Peter says, uh-uh, no way, Jesus. I will never fall away. Even if everybody else abandons you, no way. I will never do it. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, really, Peter, really? He says, this very night, You're going to three times say that you don't even know me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny that you know me three different times. And Peter says, listen, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the exact same thing. Well, maybe you've heard the story. Jesus goes off to pray. He goes into the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And he takes a few of his disciples with him. And one of those guys is Peter. And he tells them, he goes a little bit deeper into the garden. He tells them, he says, stay here and stand guard and pray. And Jesus goes and he often prays and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. He says, wake up, stand guard and pray. He goes off and prays, comes back, finds them sleeping. Happens again. Like Jesus is, this is a hard, he knows what's coming. Right? He's in like incredible pain, like mental pain. Right, He's crying out to his father. And his friends, instead of supporting him, are falling asleep. So eventually, Judas comes back into the story. And he comes back this time with some soldiers and so the chief priests and the Pharisees to arrest Jesus at nighttime because they were cowards and they didn't want to do it during the day where people would see it. So Judas knew the place that Jesus was going to be because Jesus often went there to pray. 
and he agreed with the bad guys to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver is about four months' wages. So it doesn't make him a millionaire, but it was a good chunk of change, too. And so they arrest Jesus, and they cart him off in the middle of the night for a couple quick trials. And when they do that, all of Jesus' disciples scatter, just like Jesus said they would. And Peter follows. Peter scatters. And Peter follows at a distance so he can keep an eye on Jesus and the bad guys. And he waits outside around a fire with some other people as these trials are going on. And guess what happens? A little servant girl comes up and she says, she says, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers, right? And he goes, no, 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 I don't know him. I have no idea who he is. And another little girl comes up and she says, hey, this guy, this guy's with Jesus. He's, he's one of Jesus' boys. And Peter gets a little firmer and he says, listen, I swear to you, I don't know who he is. And then some others gather around. They say, dude, your accent gives you away. You are definitely one of Jesus' followers. And then Peter, he starts getting angry. He starts swearing. He starts cursing and swearing. He says, listen, I don't know him. And just as he says that, he hears a rooster crow. And he remembers what Jesus said. Before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times tonight. And the text is really strong here. It says that he's filled with sadness. And he goes out and just bitterly weeps. It's like he realizes what he's done, and he bitterly weeps. Meanwhile, Judas sees what's happening. He sees what they're doing to Jesus in these, in these quick nighttime trials. And at the beginning of chapter 27, he sees that they're going to put Jesus to death. And all of a sudden, he realizes what he's done. And it says that, that he's seized with remorse and he goes to the chief priest and to the elders, and he takes the 30 pieces of silver that they've given him, and he gives it back to them, and he says, I've sinned, and I've betrayed an innocent man. Like, he's broken. It's like, oh my goodness, what in the world did I do? And, and you can kind of see their hearts here. They, how do they respond? They go, what do we care? Essentially, they go, what do we care? That's your problem, Judas. We got what we want. That's your problem. And so Judas overcome with remorse. He's got his 30 pieces of silver. He's standing in the temple, throws them on the ground, and he goes out and stop. I want to stop right there. I want to stop right there because I want you to see this. I want you to think about where Judas and Peter are right at that very moment because they're not that different. Like both of their worlds are absolutely shaken up they both betrayed the one that they followed for the last few years, the one that they saw do miracles, the one that they saw heal people, the one that they saw cast out demons from people, the one who loved and served them as he led and taught them. They abandoned him, and they betrayed him in his time of greatest need, at least as far as they were concerned. They're not that different, like right at this moment, right at that moment. They're not that different. What do they do? How do they respond to this? What's their next move? Let me, let me ask you this. You ever do something just terrible? Like in your life, think about your life. You ever do something just terrible, like you've, maybe you've really hurt somebody or you've betrayed somebody? You know, or maybe, maybe like you're caught up in the moment and you're not thinking clearly and you just did, ah, something rotten. Like in your life, how did you respond these guys did that. And afterwards, they're both like overcome. Like, what in the world have I done 
They're overcome with sadness. They're overcome with despair. So how do they respond? Well, we find out pretty quickly. Right after Judas leaves the temple, after throwing the blood money that he earned on the ground, he goes out and he ends his life. He ends his life. He's filled with grief. He's filled with remorse. He's filled with the realization of his sin. And he goes out and he hangs himself. He follows up a terrible decision to betray Jesus with another terrible decision to end his life. The decision to selflessly, selfishly abandon all of those that love him and end his life. He's overcome by all of the pain that he's feeling. And he wanted it to end. And probably in some twisted way, like paying himself back, I'm just guessing here, but paying himself back for what he did to Jesus. He led to Jesus being killed. And so I'm going to kill myself. And guys, as you know, and many of us, unfortunately, have experienced, this happens a lot of times today too. This is the route that some people take, and it's terrible. Some people, you're, you're just like overcome with guilt from what you've done. You go, there's no other way out. I just want the pain to end. Just like with Judas, suicide is never the right decision. It's never the right decision. And that's what Judas did, and his life was over. He was done. He had no more options. But Peter, Peter chose differently. Peter's also filled with grief. Like he's also filled with tons of remorse, but he chooses differently. He doesn't look to immediately end his grief and like shortchange the effect. He was suffering, but he was learning through his suffering. In fact, if you uh, read in First and Second Peter, Peter wrote two books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. One of the major themes in First and Second Peter is suffering. Peter suffered. And he talks a lot about suffering. And maybe if tonight you sit here and I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe you're suffering and you're looking for hope, I'd encourage you to read First and Second Peter and Psalms. Those are three really, really good books if you're struggling, if you're suffering right now. Anyway, you don't hear a whole lot of Peter for the next few days. He seems to just kind of lay low. He probably shut himself up in a house and just sulked. Or else maybe he went out fishing. He was a fisherman, you know, to just be by himself and think. Surely in his mind, it was the end of life as he knew it. And all of the hopes that he had for Jesus as Savior, as the Savior of his people were gone. It was gone. So let's jump back to Jesus. Because all this is going on while Jesus is doing what Jesus did. Because during that time, the absolutely miraculous happens. So Jesus is sentenced to death. He's found guilty. By the way, do you know what they found Jesus guilty of? Do you know why they sentenced him to death? What the charge was? The charge was blasphemy. You know what blasphemy is? He claimed to be God. Actually, he said he was God's son, making himself equal to God. And so they said, blasphemy! No one is equal to God. He deserves death. I've had people come up to me and say, um, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. He claimed to be God, and they killed him for it. But not before they beat him. Not before they taunted him. Not before they spit on him, they mocked him, they made fun of him, and they beat him some more. And then they nailed him to the cross. Giant nails through his wrist and his ankles. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the pain that he felt? And he hung there until, do you know how you die on the cross? You die when you're, on, when you're being crucified because you can't breathe. You, you asphyxiate, you suffocate, you can't get enough breath. There's a little step that you're sitting on, and in order to take a breath, you have to push yourself up until slowly you don't have the power to do that anymore, and you die. 
just as an aside, I want you to consider for a second. Um, because even as, as a Christian for 19 years, I think it's been 19 years, I was 20 years old, I'm 39 now, 19 years I've been a follower of Jesus. This still absolutely blows my mind. Ready? Think about this. He chose this. He, he chose this. Like, let's, let's make an assumption for a second that what the Bible says is actually true. Like, I believe this with all of my heart, but I realize that some of us have questions about this. Just for a second, let's make the assumption. Let's all just say the Bible is true, okay? What the Bible tells us is that Jesus' life, he didn't just begin 2,000 plus years ago when he was born of Mary. It tells us that the Son of God has always existed. Somehow God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't understand how all of that works. I'll be honest with you. But this is what the Bible says, that the Son has always existed, just like the Father and the Holy Spirit. And each person of the Godhead is completely and totally God. And each person of the Godhead was present and active during the creation of all of this and is still currently active ever since, right? This is what the Bible teaches. And at some point 2,000 plus years ago, God the Son took on flesh, he became a human. He got some skin. And he was born to a lady named Mary like I was born to Patty. That's my mom. And just like you were born, right? And the Bible tells us, again, assuming that we actually believe this for a second, that he came here. This is what the Bible says, that he came here to die. In fact, in the same book that, that we're in, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, you don't need to flip there, but in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talks about this with his disciples it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised again to life. And then Peter, I love Peter, I love Peter. Peter comes up to Jesus, he pulls him aside, and he says, Jesus, never, this is never going to happen to you. And you know what Jesus says to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you are a stumbling block to me because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. See, Peter didn't understand, and, and, and sometimes, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes we don't understand. Jesus came here to die for us. He didn't resist the cross. He wasn't forced to go to the cross. Jesus chose the cross. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because again, just assuming that the Bible is true, consider its message. God chose to leave the confines of heaven. God the Son chose to leave the confines of heaven and take on flesh, become one of us, not to live a life that's like regal and comfortable and, and, and have plenty and a life of privilege. That's not how he lived, which you think about it. I mean, he's God. That's at least what he deserves. If he's going to take on, if he's going to become one of us and all the limitations of being a human, at least he's going to be a king, Right? But instead, he was born in a dirty barn as a bastard child, as far as everyone else was concerned. And he learned to trade, and he worked hard with his hands as a carpenter, and ultimately suffered the mental and physical pain of being beaten and taunted and tortured and spit on and made fun of and nailed to a cross as people were standing below him saying, Oh, yeah? You're that strong, huh, Jesus? Why don't you come down here now? If you're God, why don't you come down here now? Like, why would he do it? Why would he do that? Why would he choose this? I want you to chew on that. We're going to come back to that in a second. So Jesus is hanging there on the cross that he chose, and he's losing strength fast, right? As it gets harder and harder to push himself up 
to take a breath. And eventually he can't do it anymore. And he cries out to his father and he says, it is finished. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last and he dies. And it's a Friday. And everyone thinks it's the end. And they pull Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb cut in a rock and they roll a big stone in front of it and they seal it and they post soldiers out there because they don't want any of Jesus' pesky disciples to get any bright ideas and steal his body and say, look, he's resurrected, he's gone, he must, they, he must have resurrected. And I think his disciples really thought it was the end too. The dream was over. See, the, the Jews were under the control of the Roman Empire at that time. They weren't free. They weren't free. And they thought that Jesus was going to become this earthly king who was going to free them. But now Jesus was dead. And they had to move on. Even though Jesus told them, and I don't understand this, but even though Jesus told them a couple times, like the passage I read, that he was going to have to die and that he was going to resurrect in a few days, somehow they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. They thought it was over. It was done. He's dead. But it wasn't over. It wasn't over. Some of the ladies that were some of Jesus' closest followers, they went to the tomb. Jesus died on a Friday. The next day, Saturday, is the Sabbath, and so Jews didn't do much on the Sabbath. So Sunday, these ladies come to the tomb with some spices and some ointments in order to prepare Jesus' body for burial, which was their custom. And when they get there, Jesus is gone. He's gone. I'll let you read the account on your own. Hope read it too. It's amazing. Bright lights, right? Angels, amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's in each of the first four books of the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I encourage you to read it. You should check it out for yourself. But basically, they find out that Jesus is alive. Somehow, in some way, he was dead, dead, and he came back to life. And the angels tell him, they said, go tell the disciples, go tell the disciples. And so these ladies run to Peter and the other disciples and say, he's alive, he's alive. And they hear this, and Peter and another disciple, John, they run to the tomb as fast as they can. And guess what they find out? It's true. He's not there. He's not there anymore. He's gone. And I want you to stop for a second. Put yourself in their shoes. In fact, put yourself in Peter's shoes specifically. What would you be thinking? You saw him. You saw him tried. You saw him found guilty. You saw him beaten. You saw him nailed to a cross, hung on a cross. You know he was dead. You know he was buried. And all of a sudden, maybe Jesus' words that he spoke months earlier come to your mind, I must be killed, but on the third day be raised back to life. Like, what do you think? Do you, do you dare to hope? Do you feel skeptical? Like, I got I to gotta, I gotta see him myself. But then maybe you remember that your last time with Jesus... You were abandoning him in his time of greatest need. And you denied that you knew him, not once, not twice, but three different times. Can you imagine the conflict going on inside of Peter? Well, here's how I want to spend the rest of our time. I want you to see how Jesus deals with Peter because I think it's how he deals with each of us as well. So I want you to flip um, three books to the right in your Bible to the Gospel of John. The fourth book in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the very last chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. 
During, up, up to this point, Jesus, he, so we're going to pick up that Jesus has been resurrected, and he showed himself a couple times to the disciples already since he's been resurrected. He showed them his hands and his feet, right, where the nail holes were. And then we get to this beautiful scene with Jesus and Peter in John chapter 21. And it's kind of a long passage, but I really want to read this together. I want you to think about this. So uh, John 21, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out. They got into a boat that night. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. He said, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's what John calls himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, he said, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped in the water. Reminds me of Forrest Gump. You know, Forrest Gump when he's on the boat and he sees uh, Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan! And then he like jumps in the water. So I think I'm going to hear that. Verse 8. So he jumps, Peter jumps in the water. Verse 8. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they weren't far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. He dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was Jesus. Apparently, Jesus looked a little bit different as he was resurrected. Jesus came, verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And I want you to see what Jesus does with Peter, okay? Look at this, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter ended up dying um, on a cross. He was crucified for his faith in the risen Jesus, but he didn't feel that he was worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did, so he requested that they crucify him upside down out of respect for Jesus. So then Jesus said to him, he said, follow me. And guys, there's so much here. Like, so much here. I wish we had more time. I wish we could dig into this. We're going to dig into it more next week. But here's what I want you to get all of this. Here's what I want you to get from this. Jesus came by choice to die so that people like Peter and us could begin again. Like Jesus came by choice to die so that people like Peter and us could begin again. See, just like Peter made terrible choices. So Peter was physically with Jesus, right? 
and he abandoned him and he disowned them. Think about how many times you and I have betrayed and abandoned God too. Think about that in your own life. Think about how many times you've betrayed God, that you've disowned God. When we live for ourselves, you know, when, when we think that, that we're pretty important, when we seek our pleasure more than anything else, when we lie and when we cheat, when we gossip with people, when we hurt people in a variety of ways. My list could go on and on. How about yours? Like, think about all of the ways that you and I abandon and disown God. And just like Jesus was so quick to forgive and to restore Peter, he desires so much to do that with us too, to give us a chance to begin again. See, God loves you. See, somehow we get that twisted. I was talking to somebody before the first service. Somehow we get that twisted. Like we think God doesn't like us. Like he hates us because we've messed up. We've made mistakes. We've done the wrong thing. And we think God must be angry at me. Listen, God loves you. Jesus came for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could begin again. It was uh, one of the things that was like incredibly important to me in my faith and believing that all of this is true of what Jesus has done is the life of these disciples. These 11 guys who the night that Jesus was betrayed, they all scattered, they all abandoned him, they all left, right? They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Something happened that by the end of their lives, every single one of those guys would end up dying for their belief that Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Every single one of them, except one, John, and he was willing to. Instead, they chose to torture him, boil him in oil, actually, and then send him off to a remote island. But every single one of these guys went from abandoning him, saying, ah, 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 no, to dying for him. What happened in between to cause them to take such a huge 180? I'll tell you what happened. They saw the risen Jesus. They, they, saw, they saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. And many other people did too. In fact, in one of the passages, it talks about how he, he showed himself to 500 people at one time. Like they saw him. They saw that he was dead, and now he was alive. See, this is real. Like what we, what we talk about with Jesus, it's real. Many of us in this room have experienced the same power in the risen Jesus too. Like I, I think about my life and I think about how much God has changed me. I can tell you this, you wouldn't, like me, you wouldn't have liked me very much before I was a follower of Jesus. You may not like me now, but you really wouldn't have liked me then. Before he showed himself, before he revealed himself to me, and I trusted I said, my life is yours. See, Jesus came and he lived perfectly and he showed us how to live and he died in our place so that we could be forgiven. Just like he forgave Peter, he knew that we were far from perfect. That's why he came. We're Peter. We're just like him. And Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him, right? Once for each time that he denied him. And what did Peter say? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Love the people that I love. Live the way that I lived when I was with you. And he said, follow me. If you love me, follow me. And guys, this is what Jesus says to us too. He asks us, he says, do you love me? 
think about this in your own life. Like, I don't know. I don't know where any of you are at. Like, I can't see into your brain. I can't see, I can't see where you're at spiritually with the Lord. But I know he whispers in our hearts. I know he whispers in your heart just like he whispers in my heart. Do you love me? And how do you respond? Like Easter, this is beautiful. It's so cool to be able to, to get together on Easter weekend and celebrate together and go to church. But this is not Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with the risen Jesus. And we say, I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life. I'm going to trust him. I can challenge you tonight. We're going we're gonna to end here with a song. And they're, they're going to play through. And I really challenge you. Like, it's no mistake that you're here. Like, it's no mistake that you're here tonight. And I want to challenge you to take what God has for you tonight. I don't know where you're at. Some of you are committed and you love Jesus. Some of you, I suspect, don't yet know him. And that's okay. It's so good that you're here. Like, it's good that you're here. But I encourage you to take this time and just be with him and just receive from him and listen to him and talk to him. He came to die for you. Why? Because he loves you. No matter what you've done, I've done some rotten things in my life. No matter what you've done, he loves you, and he wants to heal you, and he wants to give you a new beginning. He wants to change you, and he doesn't require you to be perfect to come to him. He requires you to love him and trust him and say, I'm going to follow him. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a song here. I encourage you to just take what the Lord has for you tonight. So God... uh, Easter, Lord, and we remember, we remember what Jesus did for us. It blows my mind, God, to think that that he left the confines of heaven to become one of us in order to suffer and die for us. I can't fathom the love that you have for me and for each of us in here, and it's real. And God, I thank you so much that you promised to change us. You promised to grow us. You promised to give us a new beginning. We could begin again anytime we want with you. And you're so patient with us. And so tonight, God, we give you this time. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And that you would enable us to receive exactly what you have for us tonight. So we love you.